0: to the first episode of Rediscovering Childhood, where we will be discussing child-rearing practices in Cuban culture. My name is Grace, and I am a third-year
1: linguistics student. Now, let's introduce our other host for today's podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Delaney, and I'm in my final year as a psychology major.
2: Hi, I'm Kathy, and I'm a fifth-year sociology major and a psychology minor. And my name is Sophie. I'm a
3: third-year linguistics student and environmental studies major, also pursuing a minor in psychology.
2: So the main discussion points of today's episode of Rediscovering Childhood will be sectioned into four segments, beginning with prenatal and infancy, continuing on through toddlerhood, then early childhood, and finishing off with adolescence. Let me hand things over to Grace, who will be discussing our first segment today. Let's
0: kick it off with prenatal development. Many believe westernized countries to be the most advanced, especially in terms of things like healthcare and education, but after hearing Adonis describe his experiences and the variations in culture between North America and Cuba during the interview, it really opened my eyes to how some of the values important to Cuban culture may very well be preferable for child development as well as prenatal development. Listening to him describe the importance of community in Cuba made me realize how this greatly impacts both the mother and the child during pregnancy and infancy.
1: Can you describe the basis for prenatal care in Cuba? Like, what kind of things they value and emphasize on?
0: Cuba is a rapidly advancing country in terms of medical health, with a strong belief in not only family support, but support of the entire community— When asked what his experience was like for either his mother when she carried him, or for his wife when she carried their daughter, Adonis described that everyone takes care of each other, and pregnant women are not only given priority among the community, but also respect.
3: Wow, that's so interesting. How do you think that this has an effect on pregnant
0: mothers and their child? Yeah, this sense of support from neighbors, extended family, and even strangers when letting a pregnant woman ahead of them in line or a seat on the bus means for a far less stressful pregnancy. This leads to happier mothers, which in turn means for lower rates for postpartum depression. This may also be due to diet and nutrition and women consuming food, especially meats that are more natural and less altered with hormones.
2: Other than this strong emphasis on family, are there any other aspects of pregnancy that Cuban citizens feel strongly about?
0: Yeah, not only are mothers provided with strong emotional support in Cuba, but also great physical support. Adonis describes exercise programs to help encourage pregnant women to stay active during their pregnancy, as well as the usual checkups, tests, etc. There are psychologists, nurses, and family widely available to provide help and support for the mother. This is similar to North America in many ways, but again focuses a stronger emphasis on family and community support.
1: So Grace, what did you discover in terms of contraceptive use in Cuba? Is it accessible?
0: Yeah, so another topic that was discussed during the interview was how readily contraception is made available to Cuban citizens. It was emphasized that not only is contraception readily available, but also encouraged. Education is provided on how to prepare and plan for pregnancy, and it was noted that Spanish culture is generally more open with these sorts of topics than in North America. This is almost certainly influenced by the closeness of families and also the community in Cuba.
2: How do the hospitals in Cuba support pregnant mothers?
0: High education rates mixed with good health care makes for excellent child health. It's said that Cuba has an extremely high doctor-to-citizen ratio, as well as an excellent prenatal program in place for expectant mothers. Each mother is seen by a doctor at least 12 times within the span of their pregnancy, with a comprehensive immunization program in place as well. It seems that Cuba has a strong and
3: supportive system in place for prenatal and infant care, but this wasn't always the case. What are some of the new developments that you believe have an impact on this recent emergence? Are there any ways in which they are still improving?
0: Yeah, so Cuba was actually the first country to acknowledge the possibility of mother-to-child transmission of HIV-AIDS, as well as other STIs like congenital syphilis. Cuba is also working hard to increase their number of in-hospital births, as well as lower the number of abortions performed by unskilled personnel. Overall, it seems that Cuba is rapidly improving their conditions for newborn and expectant mothers, and this as well as their tendency to be such a supportive and encouraging community makes for a terrific atmosphere in which to grow and raise a child.
2: So now that we are diving into toddlerhood, what are some of the areas of importance within this period of development? Are there any attributes that require special care and attention in toddlerhood, especially in comparison with other stages of child development?
1: Another essential time period in a child's development is toddlerhood, which is one to four years old. It is a particularly special time because the experiences and interactions that the child encounters in everyday life helps them make sense of the world and allows them to create intricate connections within the brain. Plasticity is increasingly important during this phase as this is the time where the child's brain is developing fast and creating essential connections to help with the physical, emotional, and social behaviors and actions. This can mean that each positive experience like good nutrition or a stable and safe family environment can benefit the child in terms of development and creates positive connections. The same goes for negative experience, like prenatal alcohol exposure or a violent environment, which can also create abnormal behaviors or negative associations. Therefore, the plasticity of the brain during this critical developmental period can majorly influence the behaviors and actions of the child further down the road.
0: So, what is temperament, and how can we determine what temperament a child has?
1: Great question! Actually, some of my favorite topics involving this time period are temperament and attachment. Temperament can vary across different cultures and can be significantly influenced by the child's environment. Within this couple year time period, temperament becomes the child's character or nature. What I mean by this is when the child acts out or remains quiet when spoken to or is super hyperactive compared to calm, we are seeing different pieces of their temperament. The way your child's behavior develops will show what kind of temperament they are. And there are three main types. There is easy, slow to warm up, and difficult. Easy, meaning that they are adaptable to new situations, positive and overall happy babies. Slow to warm up, meaning that they're often uneasy and cautious in new situations with strangers. And finally, difficult, where the child is often impulsive, overwhelmed by change in routine, inattentive, and harder to handle. No matter what temperament the child develops, if it matches well with the expectations and demands of the environment, then they are considered normal behaviors.
3: That's really fascinating Delaney. So how did Adonis describe Cuban child temperament? And did he learn anything about what influences
1: temperament? So in Cuban cultures, family is a very important factor in their everyday lives as they grow up playing and maturing together. During the interview, Adonis described his childhood environment to be adventurous and exciting as he grew up with his close and extended family. Growing up in these kinds of environments allows the children to communicate, cooperate, and respect one another. Adonis believed that in playing and socializing with his family he was able to gain many positive attributes including selflessness, respect, honesty, and trust which all allowed him to create deep connections within his family. As for temperament, Adonis believed that growing up within this large family greatly influenced him as he described his younger self as having an easy temperament loving, positive, and social. Adonis believed that their experiences growing up with so many people shaped them differently, as they were always doing things in groups and lived their lives very socially.
2: Totally. Because of the strong influences of community and family in Cuban culture, sociability is such a large part of daily life. More extroverted behaviors, group cooperation, and easy temperament definitely carry on through middle childhood and adolescence as well.
0: Wow, I had no idea that a child's family environment could actually affect their temperament, but how does attachment actually differ from temperament?
1: So attachment is a theory concerning the relationships between the parents and the child, whereas temperament is the characteristics or behaviors that the child presents that can be influenced by the environment and or genetics. So within this theory, there are said to be four different types of attachment. The first is a secure attachment, which is said to be classified by the child becoming distressed when the parent leaves, but are able to quickly welcome them back with open arms. The next is dismissive avoidant attachment, where the child has a difficult time opening up and trusting others. The next is an anxious preoccupied attachment, where the child expresses deep fear of abandonment. And finally, there is a fearful avoidant attachment, or disorganized attachment, where the child expresses the desire for affection but has a difficult time engaging in relationships.
3: So based on Adonis's experiences, what kind of attachment does he think formed with his parents and what factors influence this attachment style?
1: The parents play a major role in what kind of attachment the child will create. And this can all depend on how often the parent is present, their level of affection towards them and their different parenting styles. According to Adonis, he believed that all attachment styles begin with the mother and father figures. However, due to his upbringing in a large extended family, he felt as though some of his other family members were just as influential. For example, Adonis described his grandparents and some of his uncles to be as close to him as parents, and some cousins as close to him as brothers. I believe that growing up in this particular environment allowed Adonis to develop a strong attachment to his parents, but also to other parental figures within his family, like his uncles and grandparents. Having the extra support of family when parents are busy with work allows the child to develop a stronger and more secure attachment as they are still being taken care of by their family, even if it isn't their own parents.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Having those extra family members around for support can be super beneficial to the child's attachment style.
1: As for growth and development, Adonis mentioned that whilst growing up, Him and his siblings would have to make improvisations when it came to activity due to the lack of resources. For example, not many families owned more than one or even a car at all, so the children end up walking to and from school, which he mentioned was around as far as five kilometers. They also had to compensate in other areas as they didn't have proper playgrounds or recreation centers, so they had to exercise in different ways. As for developmental milestones adonis believed that the cuban culture followed the same time periods as other cultures
3: so moving on to the education of children i remember kathy telling me that she had a super interesting story about child's experiences living in cuba with a disability
2: yeah i'm super excited to share marion's story her story was something i read of in unicef's pamphlet about cuban education systems and health care for children Mariana is a little girl who is about two years old now, born in Cuba without her arms and has a sight leg defect. Her mom was working but now receives compensation from the government so that she can stay home and help take care of her daughter. The compensation isn't close to what Marian's mom used to earn but still helps out with their expenses. Her father as well is very involved in her care. He is a graphic designer for educational television so he is able to have more flexible work hours and can work out of their home. The Educate Your Child program in Cuba also assists families like Marian's because this way, she is able to get her education while receiving physical assistance. The program allows her father to hang out with the children while they're playing or doing activities while the other children run or jump. He would often put Marian on his shoulders to do the same. Her father also says how the program is very beneficial for parents in difficult social situations, helping them build relationships with other families and community members for support. Marion is also a very friendly, sociable child, so this program really helps her meet other kids, and these kids are welcoming and accepting of Marion as well, regardless of her condition. During the Educate Your Child program, Marion learns things like colors, shapes, how to do puzzles, and drawing with her feet as well. Without this program and her friendly, stimulating environment, Marianne would not be able to receive the level of education and keep up with other children in the same classroom either, as well as her parents giving her assistance while learning is important for her productivity.
0: And Kathy, you briefly mentioned the Educate Your Child program. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I can definitely speak more about the Educate Your Child program. Going into more detail about this program, it is a family, community, and intersectoral approach proposed in Cuba for an alternative to the traditional classroom. It can help improve parenting skills as parents are very involved in their children's learning, and it provides stimulating activities for the home. This program helps educate the parents on the developmental objectives behind each activity and describing what their children will be learning throughout the process. The program is often a shared responsibility between the community leaders and the parents to foster the children's learning. Social workers are often participants or the educational agents for the support of this program. It is also the key support in achieving universal early childhood education. The Educate Your Child program is used all across Cuba and is 32% implemented in rural areas, which significantly makes a difference for families with low income or is not able to have transportation to schools.
1: That's so fascinating. How about Adonis? Did he speak upon his experiences throughout school?
2: Yes. He actually told me a lot about Cuban schooling at early ages. From the interview, he shared some very insightful experiences about his time in school and what school was like in Cuba. The Cuban education and healthcare system was described as efficient and has a reputation for being quite good. He mentions that their classroom sizes were quite large, ranging from 30 to 40 children. However, there was a fantastic teacher who also had four teaching assistants to help in the classroom. This is something we don't see very often in North American classrooms. The teachers often take care of the class of 30 themselves. Also in Cuba, there was an instance of doctors and dentists visiting classrooms in order to give children a checkup. Adonis remembers in grade 3 or 4 that the dentist would give a checkup, and if they were notified about a cavity or anything like that, the parents would be notified as well, and then the children would be briefly taken out of school one day for a quick fix-up. He also spoke about children with disabilities, that there was a separate school for children with disabilities. A total of about two or three schools were present in a town for children with disabilities. These schools had specialized teachers that would help these children with social skills, such as teaching them to speak. These teachers also provided more attention so that the students with disabilities are able to concentrate more. However, children with mild symptoms were still able to attend normal school if they would like to.
3: Cuba places so much value on education. For instance, moving forward from early childhood, all children must be enrolled in the education system until the ninth grade. Unfortunately, due to political barriers between Cuba and the US, many classrooms are more limited on access to learning materials and school supplies. However, with such an emphasis on education, naturally parents are taught to be their child's first teachers. Adonis also discusses how His childhood memories consist of a very positive, encouraging learning environment within the schools. Furthermore, art, dance, and music are also heavily encouraged in the school systems. Reading also begins to excel in middle childhood in Cuba, and as a result, the country's illiteracy rate has dropped from 23.6% to 3.6%. In later childhood and early adolescence, options to enroll in pre-university programs and all other kinds of programs are offered and they're all for free. It's because of these opportunities that SES in Cuba doesn't put limits on a child's education. Now, let me pass things back to you, Kathy.
2: In another portion of the interview, Adonis describes the gender roles in Cuba as being culturally dependent, where there are several well-established roles that both males and females will play in life. However, since 1959, a lot has been done to abolish the abuse of partners, and women are able to work professional jobs and receive equal pay. About 70% of women in Cuba are employed. However, he does want to mention that even when his parents were at home, his mom would not want his father in the kitchen as she sees it as her space, and he may not know how to cook. However, males did help out in other areas of the household, such as tidying up or cleaning. In Cuba, both genders have their roles, but are both equally respected for the part they play in society, unlike other countries where if female stayed at home to take care of household duties, it may be frowned upon. However, regarding children at young ages still had the same stereotypes as seen in North America. The implications of what is expected of each gender was still underlying. So if a boy was playing with a doll, the dad may not like that. However, the newer generations of children are seen breaking these stereotypical boundaries more and more, regardless of their social expectations. For children to make friends during the school years, it was easy. In Cuba, Adonis described a very small community, and it was very likely that most parents knew each other. However, if they did not approve of another child or didn't like them hanging out with one another, the parents would pick up their own child after school or tell them not to hang out with them.
3: Wow, those are some really interesting points, Kathy. In regards to middle childhood and adolescence, Cuban culture has much stronger gender roles in place. If this tends to have more of an effect on females, as many young females are held back from opportunities to pursue higher achieving careers to tend for their family members. But the developing economics of Cuba are a large contributor to this, particularly because Family is the primary source of childcare and families must constantly work together to solve problems and deal with frequently arising life stressors. However, when it comes to joining the workforce, gender and age are disregarded and skill and ability are the primary considerations for hire. Entering the workforce becomes more common in late adolescence and early adulthood. As of late, The state is making greater pushes to offer infinite health and educational opportunities to help younger girls, in particular, foster more independence. Adonis also discussed how women in Cuba are very highly respected and women in roles more typically male oriented are respected in this regard as well. However, young Cuban females exhibit many family pressures and are often encouraged to follow societal expectations. More so, they're expected to obey parental wishes. But as previously
0: stated, this is beginning to change with a greater push towards independence. And back to the topic of child education, what kind of role do teachers play in Cuba when it comes to development in early childhood?
2: Yeah, I can definitely speak a little more on that. Teachers play an essential role in the importance of establishing student peer groups as socializing agents for the children in these groups and their neighborhoods as well. There are home study groups established throughout Cuba called Casa de Estudio. These study groups meet in the homes of selected pupils and are led by students who are excelling more in school to help their fellow pupils who may be experiencing social withdrawal. The teachers also have lifelong training provided to them by the colleges and universities in Cuba. Teachers often have a meeting as a collective every two weeks to discuss the conflicts or concerns about their classrooms. And there, the teachers are able to create new strategies together to help improve and develop educational practices in the classroom. The teachers in Cuba are also very unique in their interactions with students. They devote their time to interacting with their students outside of the classroom setting. Teachers often spend time in community organizations and help organize educational strategies for targeted homes, which often would look like the teachers helping organize study groups and helping parents with their education and giving them strategies on how to help their children efficiently. Similarly to teachers, parents also have a big influence on the upbringing of young adolescents, which Sophie is going to tell us more about next.
3: Thanks, Kathy. Why don't I jump right on into that? Parental influence definitely plays a big role in Cuban society, especially when it comes to middle childhood. It's among these age categories that parental influence is often quite strong, and there is an expectation to obey parents' wishes established in Cuban child rearing. As stated previously when discussing gender, this can often limit many adolescent females in particular, as there is often an expectation to be a caretaker for younger family members, particularly in the after-school hours as not all children have access to after-school facilities. This could reflect tendencies of a more authoritative style of parenting, because stricter rules are often accompanied with unconditional love and warmth from caretakers. Even in Adonis' experience in middle childhood, he remembers his parents having stronger influence on him than his peers. Parents' rules were always followed, and that was primarily due to a mutual respect and appreciation that it had developed throughout his parent-child relationships. Interestingly, some behaviors that are considered to be more antisocial in Western culture are more tolerated and normalized in Cuba. This includes what some consider to be the use of more aggressive language among adolescents and an earlier drinking age for alcohol consumption. However, it's important to acknowledge that when we discuss aggressive language, this this is often in the framework of the Western mindset. Adonis explains that in Cuba, your community is an extension of your family. So this level of comfort could be misinterpreted as more aggressive verbal behaviors in the eyes of other cultures. In terms of pro-social behaviors, Cuba has a zero tolerance for drugs, including marijuana, meaning that the vast majority of Cuban children never experience, experiment with any of these substances,
0: and there are few instances of drug addictions among minors. Wow, that's definitely an interesting aspect of Cuban culture. Can you explain some of the studies exploring socio-emotional development in children? Do you have any idea what may be responsible for these trends?
2: since cuba is a very collectivistic culture children from an early age are immersed into a very group oriented society which means it will foster close bonds between their peer groups and family members the role of peer groups is an essential part of cuban culture and the community as well as school life Almost all Cuban children are very active participants in their neighborhood sports and activities. It is normalized as a tradition and an important feature of children's daily lives. Their character is built upon the group activities integrated in their school, country, and neighborhood environment. However, one study assesses how children's socio-emotional development is due to their collectivistic cultures looking at factors of aggression, depression, and loneliness. Studies show that Cuban children can feel lonely without physically being lonely. This may be due to an increased level of social interaction and there being an expectation for the high-quality levels of social support in communities and peer groups. However, when certain individuals do not achieve the specific level of high-quality social interaction, these individuals can experience loneliness when comparing their experience to others. On the other hand, individuals who receive an extreme amount of social contact and stimulation can lead to feelings of being overwhelmed, drained, and being lonely.
3: Building on what Kathy described in terms of collectivist culture, Cubans are overall very united through their shared cultural heritage, and as Adonis put it, in Cuba, everyone is on the same schedule. This implies that there is a lot of synchrony in what people see through the media, what time they go to school what the latest news is about, etc. A large factor in this being that sense of community is so, so strong. From early childhood all the way through to adulthood, music and arts are a very prominent part of Cuban culture. I found it so fascinating that Adonis mentioned how almost every Cuban you'll ever meet will know how to dance. With the arts being so highly valued, children are strongly encouraged in their musical endeavors, and practice of the arts are strongly supported by the communities. With that being said, Cuba has an abundance of cultural centers per province to provide environments for these practices, and oftentimes these centers are volunteer run. Unfortunately, many of these buildings need a lot of maintenance or restoration work as a result of some of Cuba's more economic hardships. Furthermore, sports are encouraged with the option of many community centers that provide pre- free practice spaces for everyone to use. Interestingly, this contradicts Adonis's experience raising his daughter in Cuba, who discussed how living in a more rural community, they didn't have that kind of access, nor were there many playgrounds for the kids to further develop their motor abilities. However, Cuban culture is much more interdependent and there is a heavy weight on the value of family. In middle childhood, Adonis remembers going to his grandma's farm every day after school where they would explore and play all kinds of games. And this is what his childhood memories strongly consist of. Childcare is a group effort that frequently comes before career. Additionally, grandparents tend to play a much bigger role in the supervision and care Of children and family members.
1: Wow, we've discussed so many topics in regarding to child rearing in Cuban culture. Why don't we finish off by discussing what health looks like in later childhood? That's a
3: great idea, Delaney. I can definitely speak a little more on that. Well, it's no question that Cuban society prioritizes their universal health care and universal education to ensure good health across the country, including in their rural communities. Most communities have what's called primary health care doctors, who on average tend to 300 families each. Additionally, groups such as UNICEF are major drivers in ensuring good health care for all, and because of the government's priority to health care, malnutrition is no longer considered a major problem. In middle childhood and adolescence, Cuba has what's considered a low mortality rate. Furthermore, among adolescents, a large decline in tobacco and alcohol use at a younger age has generated positive health trends in recent years. Also, adolescent fertility rates and early marriages have subsequently declined. Some health issues that still remain prevalent among Cuban youth include an increasing rate of the young population being overweight and obese, which is something that has been recognized as an international problem across countries. Additionally, with a rising overweight and obese population, there have also been a rise in chronic diseases among youth. Some of these chronic diseases include cardiovascular disease, malalignment tumors, chronic diseases of the lower respiratory tract, and diabetes mellitus which make up for 68% of the overall mortality rate. I think it's about time we start wrapping things up. Wow, creating this podcast gave me so many valuable insights on Cuban culture and child-rearing styles. As Cuba is an underdeveloped country, I found it very interesting that many of the studies and available research base their information in relation to Western child-rearing. For this reason, I am so grateful that Adonis made the time to have an interview with us before the making of this podcast and that he could give us information based on his own personal experiences. It was great that we could pair this alongside psychological and cultural studies in regards to Cuban culture.
2: Yeah, I agree. His personal experience made all the difference and I found it so interesting to hear from someone in Cuba. I also found this podcast super enlightening as well. I loved learning about their different and effective learning methods and non-traditional classrooms that are offered in Cuba. I think this really spoke upon how other methods should be explored. Just look at how well the Educate Your Child program is doing in Cuba.
0: Absolutely, I find it fascinating to hear about the different values of different cultures and how this influences growth in all stages of development. I love how the citizens of Cuba put such a strong emphasis on family and community, and it seems like an extremely supportive and healthy environment for starting or continuing a family. It is such a blessing that we are able to hear firsthand from Adonis and really get a feel for the culture and how the country functions in terms of healthcare, education, etc.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining our Rediscovering Childhood podcast today. And a big thank you to Adonis for giving us further insight into the child-rearing practices and outcomes in Cuban culture. I had an absolute blast chatting with you all and I hope that you tune in next week where we will be discussing the effects of genetics on childhood intelligence. Thank you.